Hi everyone and welcome back. I hope you are all having a wonderful start to your summer. What a great time to just mm, be warm and embrace your joy, your inner child and nature, of course. Um, and I have something special for you today. I am going to be playing a recording of a podcast I was featured on, Finding Harmony, a podcast that's hosted by my friend Harmony Slater and her husband, Russell Case. And in this episode, I talk about what it really takes to become trauma-informed. And this is for trauma-informed yoga teachers, for yoga teachers, and for all of us looking to create safer spaces, whether as a parent, as a teacher, uh, as a coworker, or a leader of a team, or a manager. But specifically, if you are a yoga teacher, you are going to hear me detail with Russell. We go through a very specific instance uh, that he had in the room, in the yoga room, and maybe what he could have done. I'm coaching him and we're really talking it through because these things do happen. One of the reasons I am uh, playing this episode this week is because coming up, I am going to be at Miami Life Center Yes, a Miami Life Center. Um, and I'm going to be leading a three day weekend workshop training on becoming a trauma informed yoga teacher. So uh, if you're in Miami or you're thinking you want to check out Miami, if you've never been to Miami Life Center, um, of course, the famous Kino McGregor and Tim Feldman's yoga studio in Miami, I invite you to come down this August. We'll sweat it out together, and this will be a wonderful in-person training. If that doesn't work for you, there's an online training coming up the end of September um, and some other offerings off my site, laraland.us. I've also been featured on a bunch of podcasts lately. Um, as I was mentioning summer and nature, it made me think of a podcast I was on recently where I talked about forest bathing, and you really get a look at um, what that is. That's one of the therapeutic modalities that I offer. So um, that's off my site. It's the Catscast, <laughs> I can never say it, <laughs> the local um, Catskill podcast, but I linked it on my website. Um, and I think that's that could be really helpful. Uh, one of the modalities that I offer is coaching. Sometimes that includes somatic experiencing. Sometimes that includes being in nature. Um, it can include breath work, it can include talk, it can include yoga, and most recently, I have also received a certification in end-of-life uh, doula, so end-of-life coaching, um, end-of-life uh, planning, being with someone at the end-of-life and helping them to have hard conversations, make big decisions, and really look at life and um, this is something, even if you're not quite or you don't think you're at end of life, as we know, we don't know what time we have. And doing this work has really forced me to go deep into what do I want to live on? What do I want my child to know about me? 
What kind of impact do I want to have in the world? And so I can help you to ask these deep questions and even create something physical or recording, um, letters, video. There's lots of ways this can go to, um, you know, outlive you or to give to family or to community. Um, So a lot of great things uh, in the works and actually coming together now, hoping to lay off the trainings and be now in service. I'm taking on a few more coaching clients uh, for summer. I always run a special, so you want to get on that. Um, And otherwise, I'm out there sharing the book, The Essential Guide to Trauma-Sensitive Yoga, Please, if you haven't already, write a review on Amazon, on Goodreads, on both. Um, Post your picture holding the book on social media and tag me. Any, um, you know, anything that you do to support is greatly, greatly appreciated. It all helps get this work out there. And that includes reviewing this podcast. Um, Send us a review, a five-star rating, and also take a minute, write a little review that helps people to find us. And of course, if you have a little something extra and you want to support this work, this free content that I hope is supporting your life, um, you can always make a donation. It's much appreciated. So with that said, take a listen to this episode of me being interviewed on the Finding Harmony podcast, I think you will learn a lot about my views on trauma sensitivity and how I really implement them from this conversation. Here we go. A trauma-sensitive space. And so this essential guide to trauma-sensitive yoga, it is helping to show you an inclusive approach for teachers and students of all ages, all abilities, how to Um, teach a class in a way that allows it to be accessible and allows it to um, be open and welcoming for those who have experienced some trauma or those who have trauma in their history. And so it talks about how the impacts of trauma might show up in a yoga class or yoga space. Uh, It gives some suggestions for language, little shifts we can make to help the practitioner hold the space of power in themselves so they're not deferring to the teacher or feeling like the teacher has all the power, that it allows them to be be able to speak um, in a way that they're not feeling intimidated, right, so they can speak freely and uh, enter a conversation rather than the teacher just telling you what to do. It becomes um, a practice when it is more trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive where the student feels like they have a voice, which is really important. And so also how to hold an environment that's conducive to healing. And this is important for any um, type of therapeutic or coaching type practice, especially as an Ashtanga teacher, especially in a Mysore room, especially as a coach, especially a health and wellness coach who's helping people create healing in their lives, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Um, this is this is a book that you need. So um, it also includes how to practice or teach poses in a way that uh, helps people feel like they can do the practice, actually. And that's one thing that that we talk a lot about on this podcast from time to time, especially in the Ashtanga system or method. 
um, how it does feel like it's not inclusive at times and how it does feel a little bit like it is for those who are very gifted or have physical abilities that maybe others don't have. And so this is a really important uh, work. I hope that you purchase it, add it to your library, read it, study it. And you can always join Lara for one of her um, trauma informed teacher trainings. She's offering different programs and workshops all over the US right now. Um, and also online to help teachers or students who want to be teachers to become trauma-informed so that they can hold a trauma-sensitive space in their teaching. Um, so this is a wonderful offering that you can uh, connect with Laura about. And also, Laura is a student of B-School. And so we talk a little bit about where she was when she came to B-School and how B-School inspired her, not just to write this book, but she has a first book called My Bliss Book, which you can get 20% off using the discount code HARMONY. And I would love for you to get this, My Bliss Book. It's an incredible coaching journal and um resource. So if you're interested in doing some personal development work or you would like some inspiration on how to coach and work with students, um, this is a great, great resource. Um, so you can get the link in the show notes. So without further ado, let's connect with Lara and hear this awesome conversation all about how to be more trauma-informed in your teaching, in your practice, in your own offerings, and why it's so important. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony, and I'm here with Russell Kay. Good morning, Harmony. Good morning. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. Are you? I'm good. Yeah, I want to I get to our guest. Oh, you do? Yeah, we're here with mm. my very dear friend who's been on our podcast before, but she's back she loves us and we love her laura land hello oh, she's been on the show before <laughs> you were one of our very first <laughs> guests yeah like a couple you were years just practicing ago. back then that was the first are you the are you like her second third guest i think so yeah, yeah. it's way back wow. there wow mm. i i feel like i remember asking if if you felt like you were a white girl or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was, was my takeaway from that interview. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Subsequently, I feel like Jews have really taken a hit uh, kind of culturally. And I feel less like calling myself a white person these days, like, mm. like more antagonistic. Do you know what I mean? Like a little bit, yeah. you know, like more interested in standing up for my ethnicity. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. I definitely feel a rise of anti-Semitism. Uh, I feel stranger than I ever have in my life about mm -hmm. like sharing that I'm Jewish. And mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, it's really, it's an intense and embodied feeling. Yeah. It is an embodied feeling because that's where we feel things is in our, is in our body. And so do you, I think we talked a little bit about this in the first episode. We talked about maybe inherited trauma you know how you you know going to to temple on you know you keep hearing about the holocaust you know you think you'd let bygones be bygones but no you keep hearing about it and we keep like feeling it in our body and we keep remembering 
that, you know, like, you know, my entire extended Hungarian family was, you know, shot to death in a in a shooting pit in Hungary mm-hmm. enthusiastically by the fucking Hungarians, by the way. And you'd think that you would wake up every morning still holding that on. And, you know, it, it, never forget is a big thing in the Jewish circles. Like, never forget, never forget. So we don't repeat history, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, we, you know, we always do um, <laughs> as humans, you know, as humans. Yeah. Um, but uh, I would say, like, my experience with that is a little bit different. Like, I, I see it, the Holocaust coming up in my, like, the way that I've been programmed to perceive life, not in this way of never forget, never forget, and, like, hearing the stories, because actually my family didn't really talk about the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, both of my dad's parents escaped Germany separately before they knew each other um, and met eventually in New York. My grandmother went to um, Switzerland and then Cuba mm-hmm. before she made it to New York. Um, I had an aunt go to Switzerland. Yeah. And like, of course, like tons of their family members were executed and we never mm-hmm. talked about it. We never heard about it. Uh, my father mentioned it to my mother-in-law like this holiday season. And it was, I was like, you never talk about this. Um, so, you know, as I've like dissected that in my life, I've thought more about just the ways that my grandparents were because of what they went through and how that created just assumptions about how the way things are like in our family Mm -hmm. systems. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, sticking together, you know, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, stuff like that, that they inherited from what they had to do to succeed. Also like, um, assimilating. Mm. Um, and so they did like both, right? So like they, they definitely like stuck together with other Jews, you know, just like Mm -hmm. we're stronger in a pack kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, which of course that's an animal truth, you know, most, most animals pack together for survival, um, with like similar, similar, you know, same species. And, um, and then at the same time, um, also trying to fit in, you know, mm-hmm. best they can, be American, drop like for instance, you know, I'm married to a German. I could know German, mm-hmm. but they didn't want to teach us that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, um now my it's a crazy circle of life. Now my daughter is um learning German. So I think about it more like that, and I think it can be very, very subtle. Mm. Very subtle because um you know, we don't, it's very hard to see what's missing, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, oh, it's very hard for humans to see what's not there, you know, yeah. like what things weren't there um, that I wasn't exposed to because of like the assumptions of the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think about like, um, uh, say like uh, redlining a city where, uh, certain ethnicities aren't allowed to participate in, you know, the the uh, accumulation of generational wealth, and so you see that in black communities where uh, the entire social structure is um, crippled by institutional racism. And at the same time, like I look at my own family and I look at what happened when a very wealthy a diamond merchant family, a family that had actually looked at the designs and worked on the Hope Diamond, was their entire wealth structure was just 
fucking eradicated. And then they're just shipped on a boat and they land in Detroit and like, well, do the best you can. You've got nothing. Start over. And like, yeah, that that impacts a family two, three generations down the line. And we're we're still mired in shit, you know, from that event. Yeah, that definitely impacts a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, people called on, you know, who do I know that's also in this community and how can mm-hmm. we help each other and, mm-hmm. and all those kind of patterns. But that whole, um, you know, generational wealth thing is a really important piece. Um, and I mean, like I said at the, you know, the first time that we spoke, you know, I don't want to like equate these things because there are differences, um, you know, because of the lighter skin color of, mm-hmm. of you know, ethnically Jewish people, we can like fit in in a way and like, we don't have to tell people that we're mm-hmm. Jewish. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, that was kind of, I think that was the message of the never forget thing was like, they will find you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, cause you weren't, you were supposed to be like, not try to hide your Jewishness because like, right. you know, they will yeah. find you and they, they will know. And, so all that, like, you know, converting that you do, um, it's not going to save you in the end kind of right. message, yeah. you know, which I like, I get that, you know, I, I and I also find, uh, Russell, like in agreement with you that the more I feel um, like with the recent rise of anti-Semitism, it, it actually makes me want to come out more as Jewish, yeah. um, even though like spiritually I have a lot of different beliefs um, mm-hmm. that, you know, but, and it's the same thing when I was in Germany with my husband, I'm like, if we ever lived here, I would like be Jewish here in a way that I'm not <laughs> um, here where I don't have to be just to yeah. like, be like, you like me? Well, know this, I'm Jewish. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Well, like, like here in Canada, I like the, the, an, an, an example might be like, well, I'm going to go put an American flag on my lawn to assert my cultural identity. Whereas I would never do that in the United States because you know, I would be, <laughs> be very much uh, viewed very quite differently. Um, I, I, was, I was also thinking about this kind of what you said about embodiment. Um, and I'm thinking about the, the reaction to that kind of uh, story I, I I don't know if we talked about this in the last podcast, but I had a friend in Milwaukee who uh, came up to me and she was talking to me about the ACE survey, the um, uh, Adverse Childhood Experience Survey. And she said, I took the survey and and I, I, I'm, at, I'm at a 10. Like, I've, like, there's no, like, how, I don't understand how I'm functioning when mm. all when a 10 means I have all these behaviors. And I'm telling you, all of my friends in my black community here in Milwaukee, who are all high functioning, you know, members of the church and, and at school are all at a 10 as well, as far as trauma that are that's in their body. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that. It's like, well, you just told me that you belong to a church. And, you know, um, I imagine that church is quite like a, like a physically kind of shouty church, you know, like you kind of, you do, you like a, like a Quaker church or, or a shaker church. Like there's a lot of, a lot of movement, like yeah. a lot of movement, right. <laughs> kind of working trauma out of the body that yeah. is like 
overwhelming your society, your society and your ethnic group. Whereas, you know, I'm meeting, I meet a lot of, a lot of Jews who are like kind of, you know, hardwired to neuroses. Mm-hmm. We're not embodied in their and you know, like maybe like right? maybe you kind of do this over and over again, you know, like this, you know, like you're reading the reading the Torah. Um and for those so I'm just like, saying on audio, we're just like rocking, like yeah. rocking <laughs> Jewish. Like, yeah. I can see harmony like Russell, the audio podcast. Um. <laughs> yeah, so there is a I feel like there is a real there's a real place uh uh, or an outlet or a, a reason for like, you could see why mm. Jews took to yoga so deeply in the, in the fifties and sixties, mm. you know, they, they went out to California and went for it and, <laughs> and built Esalen and built these, these whole different models of therapeutic resources that are all, um, uh, Hakomi based or, or, uh, or f- physical, somatic. somat, thank you. Somatically based. Because we we kind of needed it. Yeah, I love that. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. But your experience with your body? Um, was that my personal experience? Um, I think I had physical outlets. Um, so when you're talking about that, I I I'm saying yes because I see it in a more in a generalized pattern, right? Because I can like see, especially the men. Um, like the Jewish men just like getting smaller and I'm thinking about um, and the rocking at the book and the tradition of like it is a there is a meditative tradition but it's not so embodied Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking about that the Jewish tradition is very much about you know questioning this question answer and it's it's up in the head Mm -hmm. Um, my personal experience I think like I, I, I had an embodied kind of physical life as a skier and um uh just like sporty in general um holding those adductors together the yoga thing was was really for me like when i i had this realization the first time um like my senior year of high school where like we had this yoga unit that i just i was like oh like this release um is very much connected to uh, this physical release very much connected to emotional release. Um, and it was just, it could teach me so much. Also the concept of like doing less to get more. I was kind of like an over trier and I was overdoing in a lot of aspects in my life to like say that I was doing a lot. And then I would be able to lean on that when I wasn't getting results in my life. I don't know if this is making sense. Um, I'd be like, yeah, I was kind of lying to myself about like, well, I'm trying. I'm, and in some ways, I think deep down I knew that I wasn't maybe doing like – I was doing a hundred things that could be saying I was trying, but I wasn't doing the one thing that would really make change. Mm. And That's t- important. Tell us what that one thing is. Well, I just no. It's it's in like in my life, like sometimes where, like let's say I could I was studying for an exam or something. You know, I could I could be like, well, I read everything and I like I tried so hard, and you know maybe I just needed to, I don't know. Maybe there was just actually not reading the appendixes or something, but taking in the material or like Mm -hmm. stepping Uh, away or like there were you know like 
actually, there are more effective ways that are sometimes around doing less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Integrating the, the what you read rather than devouring more. Yeah. Digestion. Yeah, exactly. Like this integration. But I also could see this in like relationships too. Just like ways of trying that that weren't like effective and getting me what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, And I could see a tendency to like be a victim in that and be like, um, I'm doing everything and nothing's working for me. And it's the other people and like – the practice of yoga really links for me in um, a shift of that perspective, taking ownership and doing less, but like going further with less. Mm. Um, those are kind of concepts that came to me through the, through the practice. Yeah. It's interesting too that um, because I feel like that can also be a response to trauma. You know, we talked about sort of, I guess a little bit like different ways of releasing sort of generational trauma or past trauma or your own trauma through movement or, you know, vocalizing like different ways of kind of shifting and moving that energy or yoga shifting and moving that energy. But there's also like the reverse of that, which is exactly that pattern that you're talking about of like doing right and getting stuck in that busyness and that doing where you're not allowing yourself to feel yeah, which is actually going to allow the release to happen too, right? So, talk a little bit about like those that dichotomy of like needing to kind of do something to have the experience, but then to like be with the experience and stop the yeah. doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that like that that balance and that integration. Um, you know, like I mean, the rest the the resting at the end of practice, you know, Mm -hmm. which is like, you know, that part that's, it's so important. It's very, it can be very hard to do. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's kind of like, that is an example of the, the integration process or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, if you think of life as a little bit of an experiment, you know, and you really look at it that way and you want to, like get better at your life, then you'd want to, when you make a change um, and after that change becomes like a little more integrated and habitual, like you'd want to sit with that for a while and see what the results are in your life, Mm -hmm. you know, before doing like 20 things and then not knowing like what was the change, like what was the thing that really initiated that that change. Mm-hmm. Um, cause maybe you don't need to do 20 things, you know, maybe, maybe it's the one thing and that's, that's actually kind of a way of not seeing it. And then you can say, well, I can't keep up these 20 things. Mm-hmm. And so I just drop them all rather than just like slow, like going slowly and actually going further mm-hmm. by just like taking one small change at a time and seeing what that shifts in your life. And, and Yeah. That's another mm. example I see for that. That's interesting. I I was I was thinking about the the arc that that really made me think of the arc of my my yoga experience, and that started out in a kind of very somatic and therapeutic way of really feeling a lot better when I meditated or rested. Uh, it, it became very psychedelic and and really something very. Um, 
um, transportive for me and healing. And then I got really into it and tried really hard at it. I became more and more, um, what do you call, um, a ponic. Yeah. And I was folding and folding and folding, touching my toes, you know, doing push-ups and, and lift-ups and handstands and like really, really getting good at it. And then at a certain point I was asked to kind of break away from all those handstands and do backbends and open up my hips and do Baddha Konasana. And it was like, and I felt a total emotional breakdown and rejection of that activity because it was so uh, horrifying. <laughs> and I felt in like the feeling of like, of like, uh, hypodermic needles going into my into my groin <laughs> trying to do bhadakonasana or the the terror and the night sweats doing kapatasana and i i the the part i wanted to get to was maybe you could comment on that that experience of trying too hard but also coming out the other side of it and becoming an authoritarian teacher that demanded that experience that re-traumatizing horror from my own students mm -hmm. <laughs> that certainly happened i you know and it's not as popular these days it's not as fashionable <laughs> yeah that that uh we've had a change <laughs> big shifts have happened which needed to happen in um, some circles <laughs> in some circles not everywhere um well, I think I'll say at first what's coming up around the being with versus, you know, the doing is like around um, around uncomfortable sensation, right, is we have to be able to hold the both and of that being with and here's how it is right now mm -hmm. um, and and being with that and then the and of maybe shifting or looking at, you know, uh, moving towards something in our future. It's like, it's the same about life, you know? Um, I can be happy and grateful for the life that I have while I work towards making new things happen. Like those both things can exist together. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, a lot of times, we forget that or we focus so much on one or the other. Um, and sometimes that's okay as well. I mean, sometimes if you're trying to do something really big or new, a lot of energy goes in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's it's helpful for long term, you know, with, with practice, mm -hmm. physical practice or with life practice um, because most of our life is in process. Mm -hmm. And then like we get that thing that we're going for, that's a very little blip of excitement, you know, mm -hmm. and good feeling. So if we can't figure out the both end of like enjoying where we are, mm -hmm. you know, um, then we're only going to be chasing these blips of achievement, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I think a lot of confusion arises um, around that, you know, in the practice, the, the, the physical practice of yoga and in kind of some of the growth work, you know, that, that folks come to you harmony with. So. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I wonder, did we establish that we're here to talk about your book, which is about, yeah, about well, I mean, did we actually say I that? Think, the I essential guide to trauma sensitive yoga. We need to say yoga? that is that, <laughs> that you've written this incredible book, which is why we're kind of focusing on trauma and talking about trauma and, and its relationship to yoga and how yoga and movement and all of these different practices, mindfulness and being present as well as being present in the body can help to, you know, process, release trauma. And you have this beautiful book called The Essential Guide to Trauma-Sensitive Yoga um, that's coming out. It's going to be released May 2nd, I believe. That's right. And and so, yeah, tell us, I mean... Tell us about the construction of the book yeah, and why you I thought wanna, that you should make one. I want to go back to like when we first met and you had just kind of, you were just starting your um, nonprofit organization and you started, I think that's kind of the start of a lot of this work and, and how you kind of really began, I don't know, creating your trauma-informed teaching model and teacher trainings and looking at how people in underserved populations or people who might not come to yoga or have the accessibility to yoga are processing are, are what it's like for them to come to yoga and also experience those sensations that have been deeply buried in their bodies coming up again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, a lot of the book is based on my work within my nonprofit. If we go way back, cause I, I know Russell loves to like pull up some old names. <laughs> I guess it starts with like Nancy, you like sending me to Rwanda basically. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, um, yeah. 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 So my second trip to India, like I was coming off like the end of three months and she's like, hey, you know, they're looking for uh, a female um, Ashtanga practitioner, teacher to go to Rwanda and, and, and do yoga with some genocide survivors there. I was like, I'm in. Mm. So that kind of like started that journey for me. I mean, it probably, look, it goes probably like way deeper and longer to my what my whole like we were talking about my upbringing my family desire always in my life to find uh, a way to be useful Mm -hmm. um you know that feels right for me and um and that experience you know had a, a strong impact on me and then I opened my yoga shala um in in New York City land yoga and it, that was first before the nonprofit. And even that had a very strong impact on me as well, because, um, you know, the people that came to my yoga studio were not the same bodies that we were seeing in India. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, generally, like the just the age, like, right. medium was much older. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I learned really quickly to... Um, I mean, I, I had that, uh, you know, those like authoritative teachers and I had that in my system, um, from the lineage and the way it was passed down. But I, I kind of figured out really quickly that I needed to like be with the people and, um, and teach, teach the people and from where they were at. So that, that was cause I had a really, um, incredible, um, diverse in every way student body, um, that that came through um, my yoga studio, and then the nonprofit 
Um, you know, I started for a number of reasons, but I felt like there were people that were just never going to walk into the studio that we, that we wanted to serve. Um, and so we started partnering with other nonprofits, um, that were specifically serving like trauma survivors or where we could, um, assume there, there were a lot of folks who had been through trauma in those spaces. And then I started training teachers to be ready to, um, to share yoga in those spaces because they, they really were not, um, even, you know, highly trained yoga teachers, they were not, um, and, and that is my experiences in, in those settings and trainings I've taken and given since then are all what kind of come into this body of work, which is the book. But a lot of the book is, um, is about group yoga classes, like regular classes, you know, not necessarily, you know, how to teach at a shelter or at a food bank, you know, right. but like, you know, everyone has been through some kind of trauma. And, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about like little T trauma and big T trauma. And like, I don't even know what that means anymore <laughs> because, um, you know, I had a psychiatrist on my show, on my podcast, and she was talking about how the studies are really showing that people are very resilient against some of these, like a single incident mm -hmm. trauma. Um, we can come back quite strongly from that. But it's the day-to-day, -day, um, you know, yeah. racial oppressions, um, absence of, of love or compassion, um, loneliness, these, these, these nagging, um, mm. stress-inducing situations in life eventually add up. And it's that, you know, one more drop in the in the uh, cup of water that overflows. And those are harder, harder to see, harder to detect. I mean, one of the biggest uh, elements for re trauma relief is being believed or even the thought that someone would believe you if, if you told them. Right. So if you think about these more invisible traumas or harder to see traumas, absence, neglect, like we were talking about, it's harder to see what's not there. Yeah. Then you think about someone – first of all, not even realizing it, seeing it on themselves and then being like, who am I going to tell this to? Who's going to believe me? Mm -hmm. um, and that's what creates some of the real uh, damage. So I think a lot of that is in our yoga rooms and, you know, trauma survivors aren't wearing like a big sign that says, you know, I'm dealing with traumatic stress right now. Right. So we have to start to open our eyes to how it's in the room. You do get some teenagers who dress to tell you exactly how they're <laughs> feeling, you know, like, like – I'm wearing I'm I'm wearing all black here for a reason, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what what is it about um like trauma informed teaching or holding a trauma informed space that's different than just a regular teaching space or a regular, mm -hmm. you know, conversation? Yeah. Yeah. Um the the first thing the the biggest thing that I devote my book to and my trainings to is a, is the awareness. Mm -hmm. Um because when we have the awareness of all the kinds of incidences that can produce traumatic stress in the body um and we open our eyes to the people in front of us that we don't know what they're going through. Right? Mm -hmm. So if you just start to think like, I don't know their family history, you mm -hmm. know, I don't know their, I don't even know what their home is like. Forget about like, 
what their mom was like and their grandparent, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like this added layer of sensitivity mm. that once one really opens one's eyes to that mm -hmm. um, and gets in that practice, it shifts everything in the space, mm -hmm. right? Um, because then we're really humble in our teaching. Like, I don't know you, you know, mm -hmm. and I respect that you're the expert on you, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And um, so that's like, that's the biggest thing mm -hmm. and what we work on at first. So like, you know, looking like we did, looking at your own family history, showing, learning how that shows up in your own life. And then um, considering just looking at your students and thinking about like all the stuff we don't, we don't know about, you know, what, what their lives are like and learning, you know, learning about um, like, I've just opened my eyes to like caste depression and religious trauma that I really didn't hadn't been really thinking about. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so many other examples of this. So just learning about the experiences of others different than us, right? I think it comes up a lot on your podcast about, mm -hmm. you know, teaching. A lot of people teach in a way that is like based on their own experience of being in the posture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that would yeah. be like the opposite of what I would be teaching. Right? That's, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what I was thinking is this, this notion of getting to know the person you don't, and assuming that you don't know this person, and yet we go and apply our technique to them that's based wholly on our own experience. And that is um, so incredibly limited yeah. in terms of our understanding. And yet emotionally, I really, I still, I still really resist the, uh, that idea. You know, I really, I just want to, I do want to just treat them like um, objects. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier, isn't it? <laughs> Just, mm, yeah. this, is, this complicates things a lot. This you know, is the way uh, this works. I do. I I uh, adjust, and you submit. That's it. <laughs> yeah, That's, we, we actually talk about that often in our conversations about the the you know the nuance and the amount of work it takes to understand different perspectives and um, open your mind and your yourself to the idea that you don't know the answers and you don't have all the answers and there is no right or wrong way, but there's yeah. many ways. And, and that's, you know, and then you have to step into a space of the unknown and that's uncomfortable because it's neither here nor there. And it takes a lot more energy and it takes a lot more effort and presence and awareness and, and look work to be able to hold that space. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and and also, you know, look this this the practitioner, right, is gonna learn to recognize and decipher feelings in their own system. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna be dependent on you, mm -hmm. and of course, you know, if we're running a, a business where we want them to be dependent on us to come, you know, only want us as a teacher or, mm -hmm. I mean, of course, these things come up with our egos and whatnot. So yeah. like, you know, it's always being aware and being in our own practice of like, where is my nervous system? Mm -hmm. What's showing up for me right now? How is this person triggering me in my place of how I feel my role should be? in this room, you know, and like yeah. using our practice to be like, to be aware of that. And uh, okay, that's arising for me right now. Let's get like, and not, you know, also not 
bashing ourselves about that, but mm-hmm. having compassion for that's these are human instincts. Yeah. That's human. Okay. That's curious. Like getting more a little lighter, a little more curious about it when those things come up, but also being really um attuned to that and and mm-hmm. and alive to that that's that comes up and that ultimately we want to help the practitioner to decipher their own system mm-hmm. and make choices that um, are in alignment with with their their lives, every mm-hmm. part of their lives that better their lives, um, and only they know that. Yeah. And so we can help them to expand the choices that they see. If we look at a trauma perspective, when we're stressed, right, even a low level of stress, our choices start to diminish, mm-hmm. right? We get narrow. It's like as soon as we get that, that um, sympathetic nervous system going, it's like we actually start to narrow our um, sense of choices. Yeah. We become more binary. Like mm. I, I think I can do this or this, right? I can fight yeah. or flight. I can leave it. Like yeah. we don't see when we're relaxed, when the nervous system is, a, is relaxed and our prefrontal cortex is online, like the full breadth of creativity is there. Lots yeah. of like really nuanced choices are available to us. But when stress is in the system, um, we start to think our senses become very narrow as well. Mm. Right? Um, we get tunnel vision, right? Mm. It's like sh- all these things. So the more that we can help the students to relax and see that they have actually a ton of choices and um, and the more that we can be in a place of really knowing that all of like your choice is so great for you. Like good for you for feeling that. Good for you for knowing that, for mm-hmm. sensing that in your body. Like what else can you tell me? Um, the more that we can be in that place instead of like, well, I want to, you know, okay, yeah, it's okay. You know, you're rested today, maybe tomorrow, <laughs> like mm-hmm. with our own agendas. I think the right. more, um, you know, we can just allow our students to grow in their in their freedom mm-hmm. and in their self-knowledge. That's it's really beautifully said. And I, I, I want to ask you about a, a, a situation that came up for me and see how I could have done it differently and, and, and ask you how to, how to apply that technique or even set it up differently. Um, my, my wife's ex-husband came to me and asked me to sub his class, which is you know, kind of a really very novel situation right away. And I, I walked in and I knew that um, I should, that he was, had a very light touch as far as orthodoxy. And I knew that should be, you know, my starting point in the room. I'm just there kind of as a, say, a shepherd, a guy, just to, I'm just here in the room and giving some adjustments. Um, I saw light adjustments and I saw a, a young woman come in and I could feel it right away that she was sensitive and i thought okay this is i'm even going to be even even lighter with this person than i would with anyone else and then uh i could see a lot of different places where she was held in her body say like um you know holding her heart uh in a more conservative way holding her hips bodhikonasana was impossible but i wasn't you know pushing it um and then one day I just kind of, 
I just lightly pressed against her back. It didn't even touch her legs in Vata Konasana. And um, I could see it vibrated for her. I was like, oh, okay. And she said something. And I said, I understand. You know. Um, and then she came up to me after class, started crying and said, your adjustments are just way too hard. And I can't be here anymore. Like, wow. Okay. And I was full of so many different feelings like contempt, anger, rage, and this feeling of hopelessness, like that this entire uh, system is not working anymore for anyone. And uh, I, I wanted to go right back into retirement. <laughs> And I had a long talk with my, my wife's ex-husband about it and what to do about it and, you know, what was going on with her. And maybe she was, you know, really deeply overworked, but it was really like something that stays with me, that entire encounter. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. How could I have gone into that room with it maybe more, um, with your viewpoint and your technique and like, say, this is a trauma sensitive environment and establish that mm -hmm. so um i wasn't i wouldn't be completely rejected if something did go too far well first russell i just want to acknowledge what a really um sensitive position that was for you to be in um it's never easy to be uh like a sub jumping into a space mm. and then to be subbing for the ex-husband of your wife, I mean, there's raises a lot of other <laughs> kind of ego things in our system, even if, you know, that wasn't fully there. I mean, there's just so much stuff in there. Um, and I also just really want to acknowledge your, like the fact that you, you really tried, right? Like you saw her and you, you used your skills and your training and your sensitivity as both a, a teacher and a human being and a great human being um, to really assess and give her like the best of your, of your training and abilities. And then like you, that was met with a kind of um, she told you that didn't work for her mm -hmm. and, and that's hard to receive. Yeah. Right. That's like really, really hard to receive. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously still with you um, because those things are hard. Right. It's like mm -hmm. if you were doing something that you weren't trained at or skilled at or had some like um, sense of like, I'm good at this. This is like that's it's a part of your identity that you're like decent at that, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. and that hurts. That's really, really hard. Um so, you know, like compassion for yourself around that. And um, I have a lot of compassion for that. Um, I can, you know, relate to that experience. And um, I think it's it's really good that you're looking at it and asking that question. Um, like, why not learn, learn from it, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think... Um, So, so some of the identity work that I like do when I'm training teachers is like, if, if we do that previous to coming in, that's going to help with some of that, you know? So mm -hmm. the, just the roles in the room are just so different where, um, first of all, with touch, there's a lot of consent work 
first mm-hmm. um, that's that's done around touch. And in the first time that that I mean, in in all our really trauma informed classes, the teachers aren't really touching at all, mm-hmm. um, which is different. And of course, when you come into an, a Mysore, a Shtanga room, there's also so added to everything you just explained, there's this expectation that you feel of like, they want adjustments or they might want, you know, and like, that's what I should be giving them. That's my only thing to give them in this room. Yeah. Right. I have um, one job. Whereas from my framework, <laughs> what, what I'm giving them, you know, or teaching teachers to give them is this really unconditional acceptance of where they are. Um, so any kind of touch that might occur if let's say like there, there was consent for touch, which is a big question that we could do like a whole podcast on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because with, if there's a power dynamic where your teacher and this is student, like, can they, can they, a student really um, consent when they're set up to want to please you? This is a whole nother question. I'm mm-hmm. going to put that in for, <laughs> aside for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. But let's say there is like a consent for some sort of light touch. I, I would um, suggest t- Touching in a way which says, like, I'm here with you and, like, right where you are. So not even trying to, like, move into any change. Mm-hmm. And a, a way that I kind of um, demonstrate this in my trainings is by asking the teach. I, when I train yoga teachers, I have them make this tight fist with one hand and with this other hand, like, try to move it, right. try to pry the fist open. Mm-hmm. And then we do it again, and I just have them take the other hand and just hold the squeezing fist where it is. And if you try this, you'll see that for most people, the experience of just allowing Mm. um, and holding the tight fist where it is, it's harder to keep that fist tight. Um, So I'm just cupping this really tight fist. It begins to let go on its own without mm. trying to pry any change. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the first thing that most of us need is just to be seen and acknowledged and accepted exactly as we are. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's really beautiful. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah, I, it, it irks because I've, I've taught many different adjustment workshops on a, on exactly that premise on a, how to adjust the um, the koshas before actually adjusting the body, and like and being aware that you're penetrating intellectual and emotional layers of a person before even getting close to them, to their physical presence, and it was and feeling like I'm an expert at that, and then I've been totally rejected, mm-hmm. and it's like wow, you know, I, and it just. It just really, it, it, it really threw me. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I'd have, I had someone in, in, at Stanford in, in California where I, the whole of my relationship with them was non, uh, was no touching. And I, I taught her, I think halfway through intermediate without ever once adjusting her. And it was based on that. Physically. Physically. Yeah. No, I mean, also emotionally, I didn't touch her. Probably, but, you know, <laughs> like, verbally, verbally, you know, I make, you know, and it was, it was, um, that was an eye opener for her. Like she had experienced some trauma and she was grateful to be in the room and anything that I did 
anything, any way that I could guide her with, without touch was, was, was really deeply appreciated. Yeah. And so all that said, I, I kind of like, I, I would want to like put a sign down, you know, and I think they're doing that in my sword today. Like that you put a sign, I, I consent to be touched or, and that whole question of no, consent. No is, adjustments. No injured. adjustments. Injured. Yes, yeah. No. Yeah. What do you think about that? That I whole mean, coming question from of a... if even consent is possible is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a great question and I, that I refuse to answer. It's just a good <laughs> question to, to pose, you know, and, and getting out of this, this expert like role and just being more in like, uh, you know, in this, place of learning. I think mm -hmm. we got into this, most of us, because we're got and when I say into this, you know, into yoga and mm -hmm. spirituality and all this stuff, because we're like most of us are really interested in learning. And um healing. And just going back to that is is helpful, you know, just being in the questions more than in the answers. Um and these are good questions. And I don't know if they have straightforward answers. Yeah. Um mm. Because touch can also be really healing too, right? So it's, For sure. it's so such an interesting kind of paradox that that you know the same type of adjustment or the same type of touch for one person is incredibly healing and soothing and comforting, yeah. and for another person could be triggering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Probably and true. a lot like you're asking about the the cards, you know. I think a lot has to do with the trust, you know, and the relationship mm -hmm. um, in the room with a practitioner and the guide or the teacher, you mm -hmm. know, I'm even like not wanting to say like student teacher, but like the, you know, the, the guide in the room or the, you know, the space holder in the room. And like, if, if I feel like I put a no adjustment sign up, and you're going to judge me or mm -hmm. someone next to me is going to like, then it doesn't really work anymore. So it's, it's, it's very layered and complicated. And the, the thing is that because life is layered and complicated, doesn't give us the right or shouldn't, you know, cause us to drop out of the complications. And like, mm -hmm. so it kind of, again, referring it back to your situation, Russell, you know, I would, I would just, and to any teacher that I was working with, you know, I, I would talk about, like, what do we do when harm does happen? Because we're humans in a space together and things are going to happen, you know. And so it, it's how we react at the in those moments that really sets us aside and can either be, a, like, a very healing and relationship-building activity or cause – uh, more distance and, you know, maybe folks to give up on teaching or give up on practicing or hold negative emotions or like we can all get in there. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's really hard to get in there. Yeah. Um, it's hard to get in there in relationships. I mean, especially in, in, in all of them in new ones where we don't know each other. And, and even in like, even in longer term relationships um, yeah. where something we might say is going to rock the boat and disturb the, equilibrium of, mm. of the roles that we play in relationships wow, right yeah. yeah yeah there's all that yeah. <laughs> but that's like the beauty of life you know and um you know it's it's that's the daring of of living I think. So, yeah. in a harmony told me this week that uh, we were in, we were both invited 
on a, a yoga trip and I was, um, I immediately thought again about like, oh, do I really want to be that guy in the room again? And, you know, but, you know, this, this person asked for both of us specifically. <laughs> and I, um, so I, I want to kind of feel good and comfortable about going and going there and, and going to the room and doing what I'm paid for, which is, you know, breaking open people's hips and, <laughs> In a, gently <laughs> that's not how i do it normally and and, right, mine, so yeah, mine. Mine. <laughs> and so i i love i i love that like that idea that notion that i just want to set the intention that i'm there to learn yeah i love it that's what i'm there for and instead of like they're there to learn from me and i'm gonna fucking show them how to learn no like <laughs> the the reason that they asked me to come there is to learn yeah and it's a completely, it's a radical, radical idea of uh, a visiting teacher. Because the fucking sentence is that the teacher's coming. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think something happens. Like when you do, as a teacher, you approach the situation from that perspective of what, you know, what am I learning? What am I being taught in this situation? Because then it does open you up to the way you're approaching conversations in a different way as well. You're no longer necessarily, I mean, you might have some expertise on a subject because you've studied it, you know, yeah. but rather than it being like so hierarchical, it's much more in conversation rather than, uh, you know, a pedantic kind of, you know, authoritarian dictatorship teaching style, right? Hurt people, hurt people. You'll, Russell. <laughs> no, you'll, you'll blow their minds if you're like, like if you, you say something and you go like, you ask them, yeah. you know, how, where are you feeling that statement in your body? Or like, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to be teaching them mm -hmm. also by, you know, the way you are. Because because they're already they're looking at the way you are, you know, and there's ways of learning so many different ways of learning, mm -hmm. you know, great way of learning is is modeling, mm -hmm. you know, so the kind of self acceptance, um, curiosity, beginner mindset, um, presence that you bring into this space is uh, what you can be teaching them. It's, these are qualities mm -hmm. that they can learn from your doing less as we talked about like way early on, <laughs> like yeah. they see and experience your nervous system and your whole way of being doing less. And that's like interesting. Like mm -hmm. that's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love mm -hmm. it. So can people pre-order your book? Sure can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I love like inside you have different yoga sequences or is it postures? And yeah. tell, tell me about the models. It sounds really interesting. Oh yeah. So the book is like kind of in a, in like two parts. The first part is all about um, like what is trauma, all different kinds of events that could be traumatic. We didn't get too much into this in this conversation, but you know, the same event can happen to two different people mm -hmm. and based on a bunch of different sort like circumstances, um, one could be traumatized and one not. Right. right? Yeah. So that's a whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so understanding all of that. And again, this is this is all to open our eyes 
to the different life experiences that are out there in any shared space. You know, I'm starting to talk about this book in like any facilitated shared space. Like, um, you know, it it would be good to have some trauma sensitivity because for sure someone in that room, multiple people are, um, have traumatic stress running through their system. So, um, and then we look at what happens, the brain science, you know, what happens in the body when the, the stress response happens and if it stays on versus, um, if we have the support. Um, and like I said, one of the one of the biggest resources that we can create as yoga teachers is like safer spaces, spaces where people feel really comfortable being themselves, um, community, really um, ethical, supportive community, which we don't talk enough about, I think. Um, or create and, enough. Uh, <laughs> and then the the second half of the book. Um, and and interwoven in the whole book are the mod the models yes, the <laughs> doing models. the yoga asanas their stories. Um, I think there's uh, four or five models in the book, and then there's an extra bonus, two extra bonus sequences um, done by um, Pratiba, another model. Um, they're all folks who have graduated. Almost all are folks who have graduated from the um, trauma sensitive yoga teacher training program that I do for yoga teachers mm-hmm. who want to uh, gain trauma sensitivity. One of them is um, Samantha um, from um, our – Samantha Lucas from our oh, Ashtanga. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. She also didn't do my interviewed training. one of the first guests. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Talked about her motorcycle accident. And Beautiful. Yeah, her motorcycle accident, and she also has complex um, childhood trauma, so she's been through it. Um, mm. And – so all like all the folks are trauma survivors or teachers of trauma sensitivity that have been through um, the three and a half acres yoga or my training and also teach um, trauma sensitive yoga classes oh, and they share their personal stories. Um, one of them, um, he started teaching his mother, um, Timothy Lewis. He was he he used to come to land yoga and. He's just one of those really interested students that wants a lot of information and is so into it. And I really encouraged him to do the trauma sensitivity training. And he started teaching um, at the at different nonprofits. And then his mom got COVID wow. and was in the hospital. And he tells a little bit about the story of like coaching her through breathing and trauma sensitive yoga and techniques um, to help her. Um, from the hospital bed and actually to like make it to the bathroom, which was like a really hard exercise for her, like just to do that and the trust building that happened between them and, and it changed their relationship. Um, Also because uh, their, their family history is um, uh, seventh day Adventist. I'm probably saying it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of stuff against yoga and a lot right. of, you know, and shifting that and shifting his whole like family dynamic um, and relationships in his family. Um, they're just like great stories. And then you see them, the the sequences um, that are in the book are 
Um, like I don't believe like a sequence can be trauma sensitive or not right. trauma sensitive really because it's it's more about the things that I teach in the book are about invitational language, like how to speak in a way that, you know, um, and not just saying I invite you to put your hand behind your head, <laughs> but like actually being invitational <laughs> in our speech. Um, so, you know, developing language for that, um, non-hierarchical. So instead of here's a quick thing, like you're a yoga teacher listeners can do right now is like, instead of saying like, if you can't put your foot behind your head, instead you could blah, blah, blah. You can modify like this. Um, just use the opposite approach. Like I said, most of the things, if we just switch them, <laughs> be mm-hmm. more right. and like, you know, do build it up. This. Yeah. Build so up. The I'll, teach, like, I'll teach like the most gentle version, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of the shape. And then I might say something like, you know, if you're feeling like you want a little bit more intensity or more of a challenge, you might try and then I'll give like a more mm-hmm. um, intense version. Mm. And, you know, I might likely, I might model the more gentle version to signal like, that's what I'm doing, you know? Right. So just really take the onus off of that, like more is better. Yeah. Mm. Um, so things like that. Um you know, other other a lot a lot of very technical and easy to implement things that can make your classes just immediately safer mm. um, for mm. trauma survivors. Um, mm. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think for everyone, so <laughs> for everyone. Yeah, no, we're all trauma survivors. Yeah. I mean, the statistics are really really high. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I I like that too. You know sort of what you're bringing up is is not presupposing you understand someone's life just by looking at them. Yeah. Right? I a... mean, you could have someone come into the room and they look like they have it all together and they're, you know, shiny and and sparkly and and you can presuppose all kinds of things, but you know, you have no idea what kind of background they grew up in or or what's, you know, gone on in their history. And so it's I think it's really important to yeah. Be and that helps sensitive us. in your teaching. You know? It's very, very important. And it helps us, again, if we see that, you know, and then you see that student that always has to be in this row or that space, right? This is a common thing that like irks yoga teachers, especially <laughs> yeah. I feel like Ashtanga yoga teachers, like <laughs> mix up your spot. Like, why do you always have to be there or something like, yeah, yeah. but you might start to see like, that there's a reason, you know, that 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 they need that. And that it's maybe not our place to, like, make them grow. Maybe, right. like, the best way to help them, to support, support them in their growth is really by accepting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just takes a lot of that, like, tension. And um, – a lot off of off of both the parties. Mm-hmm. And I think it can actually reduce our burnout as teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I know that's a place of interest for you, Harmony, because yeah. I'm a fan and a follower of all your work. <laughs> I'm like, no, I think one of the biggest reasons that, you know, um, people in healing professions have so much burnout is like wanting something different mm-hmm. for um, the person they're trying to help than they yeah. want for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, and over, you know, I guess you could call it like that codependence or over taking over responsibility, too much responsibility for your students rather than encouraging them to take responsibility for themselves. Right. And, yeah. 
being able to like hold a, an independent space instead of a codependent space where you feel yeah. like your value as a teacher or your value as, you know, a therapist or, or whoever, whatever wellness professional is determined by the results your students are getting or your clients are getting, right? Yeah. But allowing them to have their own experience and and define their own results and whatever that means, right? And I think exactly. it's really important to like unhook our value, how we see ourselves from, you know, our students or our clients or, you know, yeah. what they're doing. But often you have like that student, you know, as a yoga teacher who's doing the, you know, very nice advanced postures and you're like, oh, I'm such a good teacher. <laughs> I have this amazing student, yeah, you know. A, that's a codependent. Yeah, I think it's, it might, it, it can be helpful to find out, you know, like interview your, your student, have an intake mm-hmm. process, find out why, why they're there because people come for different reasons and reassess that regularly. Yeah. Because we know that those reasons change. Totally. Yeah. 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 yeah 100%. Especially if you're in it for the long haul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've changed a lot. <laughs> yeah. You might show up really wanting to like, you know, reach enlightenment and put your legs behind your head. And, and then 20 years later, you're kind of like, I just want to feel good in my body. I don't want to have exactly. pain. <laughs> Mm. so yeah it does change for sure yeah mm. yeah it's- yeah I mean I would like to be in a collective yoga space like practicing with other people but I definitely feel that um in most of those spaces there's like an assumption that I want something that isn't what I want from that experience mm. you know like I I think I would just want that to just be with people um, in like a shared physical space, but I don't want to be like trying to do um, very flexible or like fancy yoga poses. Yeah. I don't, don't um, want to be fat shamed in that space. <laughs> that's my that's most the most important thing to me. Well, that is important. That is important. Yeah. So one other thing I wanted to talk to you about before we go is because you were a part of B-School, I think at the very beginning of your business, and it really informed, I think, and sort of your trajectory of creating all of these things and eventually culminating in this beautiful book that is coming to fruition, which is amazing. Can you just tell us and our listeners a little bit about what that was like for you and how it sort of created a bigger vision? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, um, so two different books. I just want to say so the the essential guide to trauma sensitive yoga, which is coming out May second, but is on pre order now. Yes. Um, that's my newest book, and I just want to s- just say again and stress the pre order because you get these extra sequences, restorative sequence, and uh, a trauma-sensitive body scan, uh, which is awesome for relaxation, stress reduction, improving sleep. Um, I did it last night. And they can find it on your website? Is that the best place to pre-order? And so you you can find it on my website and you can pre-order from like anywhere that you like to get books. And then you just fill out my pre-order bonus form. And you you also get invited to – an exclusive pre-order Q&A with me a week after the book comes out. So um, I just really want to push the pre-order because I don't know, sometimes people wait like to wait till like the book is out, but um, 
there's a lot of real like the sequences that are the bonus ones are my favorites actually. Um, the book that I wrote with the the influence and support of um, Marie Forleo and B School. I mean, it wasn't even just the book; it was like a whole change where um, I was I got. Uh, certified in life coaching, and I was really getting more into um, into a space of a coach and helping people um, with their goals to make changes in life. Um, again, like always from this trauma-informed framework, though, of like what do you want for your life? How do you see your life? Um, what do you want for your practice? What small change, small, like super tiny, um, would – be enough to like ripple and impact your life. And um, I, I've been experimenting with these kind of practices, teaching workshops and like train your brain and goal setting um, for many, many years at my studio. And I wanted to put them into um, more of like a, of a book, but I never wrote a book. I didn't know how to do it. And um, I ended up in B-School and through that process, I really was able to um, kind of start to shift my my um, identity out there in the world. I had already felt like I shifted in myself, but I think like the the way like my site looked and the wording and sort of like the way that people perceived me was not really in alignment with like the offerings that I felt were really um, – authentic to me. And so that stuff, like I always cringe because like, I just want to be able to do my work and like people get it, you know, but (laughs) it's not like that, (laughs) you know, like you have to put the colors and the fonts that like make people feel it. And I'm really not good at that. And I was really grateful to have um, the guidance of B-School to help me to um, like, I just remember like doing the questions of like, um, to, to help me figure out who I am and how I could like really get that through to other people, mm-hmm. um, and just step-by-step, um, redesigning like my site and the wording that I was using. And then eventually putting out my first book, which I self-published, which is called My Bliss Book, which is really, um, it's an undated life purpose planner. It's undated because, as you can guess, I believe in like that change can happen at any time. We don't have to wait for January one to buy a planner. <laughs> That's and right. I saw that I would always do that, and I would end up like putting it down. I mean, most people put their ideas down, come back to them, and yeah. you shouldn't feel guilty about that. That is the process of life and change. So, but when you come back to your planner and it's like March, and you didn't <laughs> look at it all of February, you feel really bad. Um, and I'd always be like crossing out the dates so I could still use it. So (laughs) I created this undated, um, life purpose planner. So the thing that's so really cool about it, um, is it comes with this whole automated, um, year long coaching program. Um, so every other week you get this, um, email from me with tips for staying on track. Cause like we lose our motivation. That's mm-hmm. normal. We forget why we made a change, you know, we're so motivated and then life happens. And so sometimes it just helps to have someone checking in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I give a lot of, t- a lot of tips for like what to do when you kind of get off track, when you lose your motivation. 
Um, and they just hit your inbox every other week to just help you stay connected. Um, the first one, which you get immediately when you purchase the book is, um, and you sign up for the newsletter, is, uh, comes with a downloadable meditation where you use creative visualization to picture your life. Some people like to do like, w- like what do I want to have achieved? And then like in end of life, and then what does that mean for 10 years from now, five years from now, one mm-hmm. year? Um, because I think a lot of times we make these like goals um, again, it's like a whole nother podcast or conversation, but we make a lot of goals because we think we should want something or um, we just like forget to look at like, how is this in alignment with like my really, really, really big picture of my life? And when we see that, it's also easier to stay with them because we know why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it has like a deeper meaning for the way we picture um, our life fulfillment. Mm. So really proud of that book. Awesome. Um, I'm excited. Yeah. And did you create a special uh, bonus code for anyone listening? Who wants oh, to I it? sure did. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what it is? Harmony. <laughs> Harmony is the bonus code? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. That's so sweet. I'm going to go get my bliss book right now. Just put in code HARMONY for 20% off. <laughs> yeah. But that's incredible. That's so awesome that you created – I mean, you created a product, an email sequence, like audible meditation, guided meditation. I mean, that's amazing. That's like yeah. so much. Yeah. And that was overwhelming. And, you know, uh, B-School definitely was very helpful for me to um, to like do that in steps Yeah, um, and not get overwhelmed, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. small doable steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. it's really easy. I mean, and you Trumps. know, you've been working for yourself. Like, you know, as I have for, you know, 20 years or something, there's, you can, I mean, even now I have like ideas for projects that I want to like bring to life and create. And then I, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like so much work. Like start getting like that overwhelm with like all of the steps that it takes to, to do something like that. And I mean, even, you know, we created a a retreat or like the fundraiser or the different things together. Right. And it's, yeah. um, it's just like, it's easier when you can break it down and you know how to break it down and like focus on one thing. And then, you know, step by step, it comes together. And, and then also like focusing on collaborations. I think that's another thing that often we don't do necessarily when we're just like alone as a solopreneur building your business. And I think that's another thing that's solopreneur. Yeah. Solopreneur. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's another thing that's really like helpful and interesting too with, um, you know, with the B school really encourages you to like reach out and like create networks. And Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's really like all about building other people up and like, you know, supporting other people like I have the most joy in my like social media when I share someone else's Mm -hmm. things and like support them and like all those models in the essential guide to trauma-sensitive yoga like they're people that like they have their own yoga businesses now you know and um part of putting them in there was like I, I feel like better when I can help other people to get to get their stuff out there Mm -hmm. and um and yeah, that's, I think, what you're a little bit speaking to. And, yeah. um, and, and also in the, in the 
vein of like trauma sensitivity. And one of the things that I teach in the training in the book is, is about um, creating like a net, a referral network. So like knowing, you know, really knowing scope of practice and inviting other people in, right? So like I don't need to be everything. Yeah. And most most of us need more than one thing. Yeah. Right? Like again, it's going to bur- you know, speaking to burnout and speaking to like all these kind of like misalignments that we've been trained in where we can retrain to say I'm going to have like a you know, an EMDR person, a trauma sensitive cognitive behavioral therapist. Like, I'm gonna have like five or ten people that I know are taking new clients, that I know, you know, are taking insurance if that's a thing, or yeah. reasonably, you know, where we're going, where I know that I'm not gonna be everything to the yoga practitioner. That yoga is a part of a whole system of healing practices Mm -hmm. that they might need, um, some talk practices, some body-based practices, and I can refer them to people that I trust and other people can do the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. That's so important. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, especially when we start teaching yoga, a lot of, um, you know, trying to be everything, for a student. Mm -hmm. And it's so helpful to just be able to say, you know what, I have the perfect person that you should go see. (laughs) And people don't realize like that makes you bet that makes you like, yeah, that's what makes you a senior experience teacher is like knowing that and being able to do that really um, gracefully. And uh, people will respect that, Mm -hmm. you know, like, just like, it's, it's really like respectful to say, like, actually, I don't know. Yeah. Someone mm-hmm. asks, you know, a question I always tell my teachers is like, I don't know, let me do some research on that for you. Let mm-hmm. me get back to you. Mm-hmm. Like, let's like uh, normalize that saying we don't know instead of mm-hmm. trying to, you know, come up with an answer and be an expert. Like, there's so much that I don't know. Right. Students will ask you anything, you know, I'll be like, my car carburetor or whatever. Is that a part on the car? You know, it's like they get into that place where like you know everything. Like yeah. asking me some questions and we'll be putting out some answers. Like yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Sounds like it's a problem. Yeah, it's, it's just like the engine in the body, so blah blah blah. Like come Talk on guys. Your mechanic about this. <laughs> Yeah. yeah 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 it's beautiful i i tell um i do you know the training and with the institute for integrative nutrition some circle coaching for their their coaches that they're training and so facilitating their learning that way and and i was just saying that you know this week is it shows you're a professional when you know your scope of practice yeah. when it starts to cross that line you say you know this is a little bit out of my scope of practice let me refer you to this person or that person or every doctor does you that. know yeah 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 and so it, i think people will appreciate it you know mm. because it's it is the sign of of being a professional and actually understanding what you know and don't know and where you're you know where you can really be helpful and where it's like crossing a line into like uncharted waters for you (laughs) yeah 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 beautiful well Well, thank you for for coming and speaking to us is there anything more that we should um we should know about the book is pre-order the book get the bonuses get the bliss book use the code harmony it's all on your website 
lauraland.us. .us. And be trauma-informed in your teaching, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really important. Damn it. <laughs> it's so important. I th- Honestly, I think if you are not trauma-informed in your teaching, if you're if you're not sensitive to that, you are going to be left way behind because that is, I mean, that's where it's at right now. That is. Yeah. Some studios are starting to require it. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting emails um, to that, that it's going to be required for their teachers to have some trauma sensitivity training. And I think that's going to go into schools Mm -hmm. and into all professions. Um, And like I said, there are very simple, concrete things that one can do. In room setup, in lighting, all our senses, music, smells, et cetera, um, you know, our senses are the trigger point into the mind and the nervous system. So starting there, mm-hmm. um, there are, you know, just a, a couple things that you can add into your teaching style that will make your room so much safer mm-hmm. for, for the participants. And make, them, and make them feel like they want to be there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you want to be there too. Yeah. yeah. Russell, we have to keep you coming back. <laughs> and you're right. Just keep wrestling with it all. And uh, I, I always appreciate your honest wrestling. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting and fun and real. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it all develops for you, Russell. Oh, we should call it that. Finding Harmony and Russell's Wrestling. <laughs> wrestling. Oh, yeah. I think, it's, uh, I think we're a little bit too far down the road to change the title of the podcast, but I am. I was promoted to co-host. I'm grateful. For that. <laughs> Very happy. She's tough, so you must have really worked hard for that. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, my Thank dear. You. It was Thanks so you, awesome. too. Thank you. So a couple of 